Welcome to All the Year Round, a monthly podcast on 19th century British literature and culture that will take you through the seasons. I'm Emma Probert and I'm working on a book about Jane Austen, Elizabeth Gaskell and the novel of manners. Then I'm Dr Hayley Flick and I'm working on dreams and their portrayal in 19th century literature. In this month's episode, we're going to be tackling the elusive question of what women want, 19th century edition. So... What do women want in the 19th century? So many things. It's varied. It's va- As with today, answer, varied. And we're going to go into all of them. But before we go into it, we're first going to be chatting about, about um, the day that we're uploading on. So today is February 13th, which is known as the day before Valentine's Day. So this is your warning, friends. If you have not got your loved one flowers, if you have not got them chocolate, <laughs> this is the warning. Go out, go now, stop listening. No, listen to this, but just as you're listening to this, venture forth and grab what you need to grab. Good advice. Thank you. But today, today, for those of you who are left, we are celebrating Valentine's Day or Palentine's Day. So for the uninitiated amongst you, Valentine's Day was first created by an American TV show called Parks and Rec, I believe season two. So I want to say like a 2010 time, I think. Um, It was this idea that the main character came up with of basically ladies celebrating ladies. So it wasn't just... um, like romantic love the idea was sort of lifting people up and the main character that she has these heartfelt essays that she gives to people and these really thoughtful gifts um i know and i was like i love that and that took by storm so galentine's day is is up there and the reason why i would say galentine's day is because basically again the internet loved it so much you're just like why not all friendships regardless of gender why don't we just have a day where we celebrate our pals all the time just so that's february 13th so again this time but a friendly suggestion why don't you tell a friend that you appreciate them Haley? i appreciate you thank you i appreciate you too thank you so much (laughs) so getting into the 19th century there has recently been quite a lot of discussion about books like Jane Austen, yes, um, and uh, particularly because of the Guardian article on Austen, which I know you will have seen. I got sent it by like five different people. <laughs> Emails on Twitter, people were tagging me. I was left, right, and centre. People wanted me to know about it. Yes, yes. <laughs> it's been quite a big thing on uh, social media since mm. then. Quite a few videos have been put out about Austen, and I think one of the things that you very often hear as a critique of Austen is that it is all just romance everybody in there just wants to get married Um, and that I think is one of the big factors in what women want in the 19th century or at least the way that people see what women Mm -hmm. want in the 19th century because of course marriage actually really was really important to them yes I mean if you're I mean well to be fair if you're any class of woman it does rather dictate your life because the person you marry has all of your legally has all of your belongings has your income um before we get into like the late 19th century has the right to your children um it's it's sometimes seen as quite a flippant thing particularly with austin but what i think really needs to be you know hammered home is it's really an incredibly crucial decision yeah I think there are quite a few novels that come out throughout the 19th century 
where that either becomes a crucial decision that leads to the downfall of one of the heroines or it's such a crucial decision that it just really dominates their narrative and Mm -hmm. their emotions throughout the narrative. Now, some of the books that you've been dealing with have that precise issue. Yes, so definitely not a low-stakes decision. Um, You know, really, really life-changing. You know, it's, I think the best way to think of it now is that it almost functions like a career. Mm. It's something that you, uh, well, it's it's actually reflected in a lot of the novels and instructional texts and uh, periodicals that you study as well at the time. Um, And a lot of it is, it kind of gives you the life cycle of it almost, because you have the preparation, the courting, and then beyond that, how to be a good wife, how to raise good children, how to begin the cycle all over again. Um, Okay, so I don't know if you ever watched um, the Lizzie Bennet Diaries. No. Okay, that was based off of Pride and Prejudice, was a bit of a hit, I think, the year that I first went to university, so I won't say 2012 time. Um, And there's a really funny bit where um, it's scripted that uh, it's like a game show and they're trying to guess how many many accomplishments Mr. Darcy has on the list. So, so yeah, it's done in sort of a a quiz-like manner. What I find particularly interesting is when you actually read back Pride and Prejudice, uh, Mr. Darcy's not that person. I'm not shading the Lizzie Bennet diaries. They are fantastic. But um, it's it's Caroline Bingley. So um, they're discussing all the accomplishments a woman should have. Um, And... Uh, you know, Mr. Darcy's just like, she should just be great. Um, also, just his faithful companion <laughs> uh, says that she needs to have, in order to be called accomplished, she needs to have a thorough knowledge of music, singing, drawing, dancing, the modern languages, plural, whatever that means. And besides all this, she must possess a certain something in her air, in her manner of walking, uh, the tone of her voice, her address and expressions, um, or the word will only be but half deserved. And the entire half, rest of the half of that list, I, vague, Caroline, what does that mean? What does that, <laughs> I, I don't understand. And Mr. Darcy just goes, yeah, all of that she has to possess. And to all, she must add something more substantial in the improvement of her mind by extensive reading. So, yeah, it goes from Lizzie being like, oh, you know, half a dozen women. I'm surprised, you know, one person who's <laughs> like that, which I, I very much relate to. Um, but I also think it's funny that Miss Darcy's just like, sure, all of that, but she just has to be well read, um, which I also think was just it's just really interesting that, that that's the thing that he sort of pinpoints on yeah that's the focus yeah that is interesting i mean i know that uh because you look at the novel's manners you've mm. looked at much earlier examples of advice for women than i've looked at i mean i look at kind of mas- mostly mid-century mm. victorian stuff and especially periodicals so things like um people might know mrs beaton's handbook and um maybe most famously her how to run a household on on 200 pounds and this kind of idea of you could read something that would give you advice on how to be the perfect woman whether that's as a wife or as somebody who is looking to be married um yeah and it's very much about caring but uh also quite quite specific and often quite difficult 
things potentially where you make everybody's all everybody else's life around you easier i'm so sorry i'm grinning because i just remembered there's this bit in the 2005 version of pride and prejudice where they're all sat around really awkwardly around the dinner table and mr collins it's really really famous in mean world well, what excellent boiled potatoes and then he's like yes you know it's it's so awkward it's so awkward um and then he's like around it's just like which of my fair cousins you know could you know has done this it's just like which one of you do i want to bring to wife and like mrs bennett is like we have a maid yeah, and a cook and they do that business. which i also like think is funny almost siphoning him off just like this is this is not an accomplishment that we have you know because like my daughters are gentlemen's daughters mm. as well so there's like lots of different layers again like where you're just like yeah. what women want variety their accomplishments variety yeah. and i wonder whether that is partly about as a man not understanding domesticity in the same way that or domestic tasks in the same way that the women would or did he really know because as we know in the text he quotes james fordyce a lot ah. and james fordyce has a lot of a lot of opinions about how a woman should behave i mean that's a good point most of this seem to be constant synonyms of virtuous and modest mm-hmm. um it's he, he often gives you like a lot of paradoxes of like if a man is giving you unwanted attention you should be polite but firm so you should be friendly but you shouldn't harshly rebuff them Mm. and I'm like I feel like that that also kind of works in 21st century problems of so if someone gave you that as a solution to the problem of a man giving you unwanted advances it's just like what does that actually mean that's yeah. not going to work. I was like, James, I don't think you know what you're talking about. Yeah, I think later on that does become addressed more easily in periodicals, actually, again, because if we look at um, Isabella Beaton mm. and Samuel Beaton's uh, periodical, which was the English Woman's Domestic Magazine, um, they had the conversation section where women would write in every month with their problems and ask for advice. And actually quite a few of those are things like, this is the situation with this young man. How do I respond to that? What's the polite thing to do in this situation? And so, yes, I think clearly there was not enough advice in those former texts. I feel like maybe Lydia Bennett would have responded to that better if someone had given her a little magazine article, because as we know, for Pride and Prejudice, Mr. Collins decides after dinner he's going to read from the sermon. That's their evening entertainment. He gets, no, (laughs) he gets three pages in and Lydia's like, let's do something else. (laughs) So yeah, maybe, maybe, maybe if we just slip, if we just been able to slip Lydia Bennett a little magazine article, um, that might have been a little more prosperous for her. Yeah, I think Lydia Bennett actually, she is a good example of why marriage and understanding the kind of formalities Mm. and the proper conduct around marriage was so important because of course it nearly ends disastrously for Lydia. It does, it does and it's a bit difficult because she never really, there's been like a a lot of talk on this recently because you know a lot of readers tend to find her frustrating because she never really seems to learn her lesson you know she she technically sort of gets away with it but she doesn't because she's 15 and she's yeah. married to Wickham. Uh, and I can't see that as a win 
in anybody's book, let's be honest. severe punishment. <laughs> I mean, oh, imagine it like 10 years down the line, just a year down the line, just no. And given the fact like uh, the end of Pride and Prejudice actually, I don't know if you know this, like one of the final lines of it is essentially Lizzie siphoning cash off of like Pemberley that she's given to run the household mm-hmm. so she can send it to Lydia. Darcy doesn't know. Yeah, actually, I think that's really telling in itself in Pride and Prejudice. Mm. Who has the power when Lydia gets into trouble? Nobody is really able to help her. Uh, Lizzie kind of has that moment where she's panicking when she first hears the news. And ultimately, it is a man and money who is able to rescue her, if we consider that a rescue, from the situation. It's the closest we were going to get to a rescue. Yes. Yeah. There was no way back. And that in itself, actually is the importance of it once she made that mistake the only way out of that was to get married it's also really weird because if i'm remembering correctly mr mr bennett only actually looks for lydia for like three weeks and then he goes back home it's like i'd maybe (laughs) search for your 15 year old maybe i think the thing is just that he runs out of money but also you kind of just get the feeling like he's just a little bit over the drama of it all and mm. wants to kind of like retreat to his study again because that's kind of where he's been for the last let's see i don't as many years as as the girls have been born for really so probably like the last 15 years of his life um so it's only sort of darcy basically almost in order to win lizzie's hand that he even bothers to stick it out as long as that well i guess it's also self-serving because like he can't marry lizzie if lydia isn't married that, yeah good point yeah I thought of it <laughs> it wouldn't oh, okay but here's the thing here's the thing I always think about and this kind of like gets touched on and like death comes to Pemberley which is um a fun little thing with a nice little BBC series to go along with it um but in that like it's it's a almost like a decade in the future and it's like a murder mystery but it did make me think I was just like <sighs> like both okay both Darcy and Lizzie from different angles now have Wickham as a brother-in-law. Yeah. And also that means that Georgiana, Darcy's sister, who Wickham first went after when she was 15, is also now related by marriage to Wickham. Mm. So very uncomfortable. Yeah. The the levels of trappings are actually Mm. a little bit, yeah, uncomfortable. Maybe quite quite distantly related, but the situation with Lydia and how she is sort of uh, nearly ruined mm. um, by her fleeing with Wickham. Could we compare that maybe to Tess in Tess and the Dervilles and what happens to her? Because there's nobody there to save her when she is ruined. And obviously that is in a different way. She doesn't uh, intentionally... Yeah, and she has that argument with her mum about the fact that there was no one there to explain to her mm. the rules. And, like, Mrs. Bennet is actually thrilled that Lydia's married. Like, there's never any, like, there's never any conversation that what she's, like, you know, she's kind of on the sofa having having her nerves mm. while Lydia's away. But the second that she finds out that Lydia's married, sort of. It's fine, it's fixed. It's exactly. Uh, her youngest married of 15 as well. Like, there's there's no, you know, it never really comes to rest. Whereas I think Tess, because it's, it's written a little bit later mm-hmm. and it's written in a very different context 
it gives them the opportunity for Tess to be like, you did not explain the basics to me. And I think that's another one of the reasons why the instructionals are so important. So you know that in my research on like the novel of manners, I also look at uh, Anna Letitia Barbold. Yeah. Yes. Um, so for the uninitiated, Anna Letitia Barbold is a really, really cool lady. Um, so she wrote poetry. Uh, she uh, wrote various essays as well. Um like a very very well educated woman for the period and as she sort of grew older she also became an editor and she was given um the british novelists which was a pretty big deal because that's whenever publications like that kind of come out with like the british novelist such a definitive title yeah they're trying to sell that and they're trying to sell that for years on end um and one of the things that i loved in her she has this 50 page essay that she prefaces the entire collection with and she essentially explains that novels are really great they're, they're not the trash that everyone thinks that they are they're actually really great and they actually have this really important purpose mm. because it's a way for young people and especially young girls to see to experience problems secondhand to experience, you know, sort of the, the harassment that we see in, like, Frances Burney's um, book, Evelina, um, well, actually most of her books, to be honest, um, of young women and men getting into carriages without their permission or getting into theatre boxes and saying some kind of inappropriate things and not letting go of their hands, which is very uncomfortable. And I always thought, you have a second hand, just whack it around. <laughs> um yeah, so she says, you know, by having this, by having novels where you can see all the things that go wrong, they can have these almost like passionate experiences, but see the problems and they can like learn the worth of the yeah. people they really should be going after. Mm. It's actually interestingly connected to that. Uh, Maureen Perkins wrote an article about the women's periodicals, mm. like the English Women's Domestic magazine, um, and she was talking about fiction, the fiction that was in there, which is sometimes serialised, sometimes it was just short stories. Um, and she's basically saying the same thing, that it's through those stories that women could learn what to do in certain situations. They would learn about relationships, about the kind of things that might go wrong, the kind of things that maybe they should be looking out for when they're choosing partners and things like that. I think the way that she puts it is um, the princess arrives, but the prince doesn't do his job. Um, and that definitely is something that's very visible in a lot of these stories where men do silly things that get women into into a lot of trouble complicated situations very much so yeah in fact i think probably my favorite one because it is related to dream mm -hmm. um, and i actually i can't remember the title of it right now but perhaps we could put that up somewhere um and essentially it is about a woman who falls in love with this young man and he's intending to propose to her but he has to go away for some reason and he doesn't propose to her before he goes. Yeah. He's planning to do that when he gets back. So he's he takes a while. He's a bit waylaid on this journey. As you always are in such stories. Yes. And while he's away, her parents decide that she needs to get married. So they just tell her to marry this other man who she has absolutely no feelings for. But... Essentially, as you said earlier, you didn't really have any legal rights. You're owned by your father and then by your husband. And so she has to. She's pressured into it. Um, 
And she manages to communicate with her initial love through dream. She visits him in dream and she tells him that how terribly he has affected her life by not proposing to her when he should have. Um, and he's very freaked out by <laughs> and it Same. kind of has um, kind of has a happy ending mm. because she I believe that the man that she married dies, although I can't remember how he dies. And he she dies. She decides that she does not want to be married again. Um, she's had had enough of that and so they don't kind of reconnect afterwards um and that was her kind of not revenge but her letting him know that uh, that he he wronged her because of the social mm-hmm. norms of the day that he didn't understand even though they were so important to her and she just she redeemed herself but she was like i refuse to to redeem you you have to redeem yourself Absolutely. Yeah, which I like that. I think that's quite powerful. I think that there's um, an interesting aspect when it comes to property and having to obey. So I actually touch on this um, in my thesis of having to tread that line of basically being obedient enough that, you know, you don't have to do anything rash or the people who are either your parents or your guardians don't do anything rash but have a strong enough sense of purpose or have enough um, money or social leverage to hold on to that. So it's this, even in the best case scenario, it seems to be this sort of tight walk, tightrope walk, you know, yeah, you don't don't necessarily have to be obedient 100% of the time. I mean, so few of Austin's heroines, for example, are. but there is like a trade-off. There's yeah. there's a compromise. There's like a, a, if not explicit, at least an implicit social compromise. There's lines that people are colouring inside of. Yeah, and that that absolutely happens in that one because, mm-hmm. of course, the reason that she's able to decide to be independent is because her husband's died, and now she owns his. Um, she is inherited from him, so she she can make that choice now. She's not dependent solely on her parents. Um, although that doesn't always work out very well for even the wealthy heroines um, I think probably my favourite example of that would be No Name by Walkie Collins uh, which I think we've discussed a bit we have before a bit. Um, yeah so in No Name the family is quite wealthy at the beginning and the woman is going to marry the man that she loves, even though he's not very wealthy and he doesn't seem to have very good career prospects. Everything's going a bit wrong for him. But because she, he is, <laughs> because she has money and she's going to have a good inheritance, it's okay. They can get married and they can live on her inheritance and their parents agree for them to be married. And then her parents die. And because girls don't automatically inherit her and her sister are just left with nothing and everything goes to I think it's her father's 
brother who just has no interest in helping them and so they just have to work it out themselves and that simultaneously just completely overturns our life but it also destroys that marriage that now can't happen um yeah and actually what happens after that and her attempt to to reclaim her name and her inheritance is um is really interesting probably one of my favorite Rocky Collins books actually I also see like some sense and sensibility vibes in there as well, because, you know, this, that story basically begins with, uh, if, you, if you don't know it, it's got um, three sisters and a, and a mother in it. The two main sisters are Eleanor and Marianne, and basically their father dies and um, their brother from a previous marriage, he comes in, he inherits everything. And, you know, it's, not exactly codified, but it is, it's, his father expressly says that he wants him to look after Eleanor and Marianne and his wife. And also there's Margaret, but like most of the time, um, she's hiding under tables or hiding in trees. I need someone to write uh, from Margaret's, rewrite from Margaret's that would be brilliant. I'd love to know. Um, and his wife kind of batters him down a bit. So it goes from giving them like actual money and they, they're just like, oh, but they're going to move to this small cottage. They won't know what to do with this huge amount of money. So let's just not, let's just not give them the burden of money. <laughs> because he was sure. God, what a disaster. The burden of money. Um, <laughs> sure. Uh, so... And she just like she beats him down and get like again and again and again. Um and in the end they're essentially left with linens. They're left with linens. Um yes, there's actually um an amazing episode uh that the thing about Austin does on linens, where they essentially explain um what a quintessential part of the household it is. Mm -hmm. So it does have, you know, from their material culture perspective, it does have um a lot of sense of the household sense of the home sense of the yeah. family you know they are inherited items but the other thing that you have there is if they are the only thing you are given and you are not given any money to deal with any of the basics what use of it it's like being given like a set of silver teaspoons but you don't have basic cutlery yeah yeah um another another quick addition there yeah i think that it definitely is similar interestingly quite quite far apart from each other mm. um yeah and i think that is another thing that's interesting about the 19th century when we're talking about it with uh different areas of research because there are still so many crossovers with women and how they're treated and the things that they want and need even though we are talking about really you know many decades apart sometimes so from your story and my story basically women want nice brothers and nice uncles who don't uh steal their money from them <laughs> that's what they want it's not yeah. all romantic sometimes it's just don't cheat as of an inheritance yeah yeah and that kind of safety is what's so important really mm. about marriage uh, which then explains why it becomes so important and i think probably um uh, the most mean famous mm. example of that has to be the um i'm 27 <laughs> no, no money no prospects and i'm scared 
Yeah, I'm already a burden to my parents. Haven't we all been their friends? <laughs> um, yes. Because yes. it was scary, genuinely scary to be in that situation. I think that's something that um, people maybe don't appreciate, especially with that situation when um, it's easy to criticise her decision that, you know, why would you do that? Why would you marry somebody that you don't love it's, when it's just about money? Um, but, you know, she really is genuinely afraid for her future because if you don't have an income, if you don't have the security of a home, what do you do? What happens to you? Sudden thought, what period periodicals was Charlotte Lucas reading? Because that mm. woman is savvy. <laughs> she's a savvy lady. Yes. So like, when she does marry Mr. Collins, she's like, she barters. She's like, I'm having my own parlour. Because I need, I need lady alone time because I'm just, I'm such a lady. And I think because, you know, Mr. Collins has read a lot of these um, conduct books of the time. He basically, he thinks that there's this quite wide distinction and he almost sees like womanhood and femininity um, as something that he can kind of know and revere, but also I feel like Charlotte uses that in a really specific way to basically give her as little time with her husband as possible. Again, very, very savvy. <laughs> she is, definitely. Yeah. Possibly one of my cleverer characters. <laughs> yeah, but like vastly underrated. I also mm. think it's a little bit uncomfortable, but also kind of... Um, interesting because it's mostly just like why would you sort of marry mr collins blah 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 but there's not a lot of time taken at the fact of she's gonna live in longbourn like the place that lizzie grew up is going like charlotte is going to own it essentially by marriage but it's going to be hers one day yeah that kind of trade-off like you said it can never be just fully yeah she can own that house she can become free there's always that little bit of trade-off that's related to marriage i always wonder whether charlotte would maybe like because you know mr collins is like obsessed with lady catherine de Burg. Hmm. i wonder whether at some point in the future charlotte was like darling mr bennett is dead but we can't possibly part from lady catherine so just let lizzie and the girls stay there because i mean jane and lizzie do get married but i do wonder if like in an alternative line that might have worked yeah and i also wonder whether maybe just like i feel like that maybe mary could just hang out in longbourn i'm not sure she really cares about hanging out with mr bingley and mr darcy i think just let mary hang out at longbourn practice her piano um read some stuff i mean technically mary is the most accomplished of all the sisters but also potentially not her piano playing is a bit dire she tries. She tries really hard. Oh, poor Mary. <laughs> yeah, and actually, I guess that um, that set of accomplishments, which you, you were mentioning earlier, that is also part of what women want. Um, but again, very much <laughs> because of, air quotes. Yes, very much because of the expectations that you know you have to have that bargaining chip. What do you have to give to? catch a husband essentially um, even when i think it's fair to say that now some of those skills that women did have are seen as frivolous and almost kind of kind of silly or not worth as much because they weren't 
um, making money because they weren't careers. But actually, if you look at, for example, in the English Women's Domestic magazine, where there were suggestions of things that you could do around the house, things that you could make, things that you could cook, they're actually really difficult, really skilled. Um, lots of sewing, embroidery, um, sometimes dressmaking. They actually had um, kind of the, the sheets that you could cut mm -hmm. out. Uh, that was a big part of the English Women's Domestic magazine. So you'd actually um, make your own. Yeah, so um, for those of you who are not uh, on sort of crafty YouTube, if you watch Bernadette Banner or Rachel Maxey, they have to get either like costume ones or vintage ones and they fully like have to spread all over the floor with all of their pins and whatnot and every time I look at it I just think that's like algebra made tangible and I'm uncomfortable <laughs> yeah um what a cool skill to have but just something that hasn't really but I guess been passed on after sort of pre-made clothing mm -hmm. yeah understandably in some ways I think yes <laughs> Yes, because it's quite time-saving not to yeah. have to make everything yourself. Yeah. But also kind of sucks because then nothing you own actually fits you. Good point. That would have been, yes. <laughs> been a bonus of having that skill, definitely. Um, yeah, but I think undervaluing um, the kind of skills that women did have, even when they were just expected to be married and I say that with air quotes as well because that just carries, as we were just saying, a lot of weight for them. There's a lot of expectation of input into being marriageable and finding the right husband and being a good wife. Um, well, they're saying that not everybody agreed with the kind of existing guides mm. to, uh, to how to be a good woman, how to be a good wife. And uh, maybe, again, some people might be familiar with uh, Mary Wollstonecraft and her vindication of the rights of women, where she actually sort of directly refers to uh, actually a couple of the, the guides that I think you've looked at. Yes, because she uh, she not only she not only slaps back at James Fordyce, she also is not a huge fan of Dr. Gregory. He wrote um, letters to his daughters, which again they. They're like different variations of the same basic tenets, basically. Yeah, I think um, she she suggests that she wouldn't allow girls to to read um, Fordyce's books because he would take out every spark of their nature. Um, this idea that it would make everybody this kind of very artificial, boring, homogenous thing. Um, and I believe she also kind of suggests that he doesn't really understand love or emotion in vindication of the rights of women. And and I support that, Mary. I don't think so. I'm, I don't think it was a great thing that um I mean it's one of those things of it being like, yeah, I mean Fordyce's sermons were actually incredibly popular. They they were sold everywhere and Unless I'm getting this um, very wrong, I believe Cassandra actually got Austin a copy of um, Gregory's, Dr. Gregory's uh, letters to his daughters for one of her birthdays. Again, without any context, who knows whether she, like Cassandra, who's often seen as sort of the calmer, more tragic figure because unfortunately she lost her, uh, her fiancé 
Um, he died of yellow fever before they could marry, and then Cassandra never marries. But who knows whether she gave that, like, seriously to Jane of being like, oh, you know, you have to have to be very prim and proper, or whether she gave it to her to be like, this is funny. <laughs> yes. <laughs> Almost as a gag. Very interesting to know. I know, I know, all the time I do wonder. This will be an interesting read, but maybe not in the way that you expect. <laughs> I have questions. I think um, maybe one of the things that we could touch on here is what women wanted from a husband and what they didn't want from a husband. Probably quite, again, varied depending on what you're really looking for. So like Charlotte Lucas, we don't get much of an insight into her, but she just really seems to be like, are you a person who, if I tell you, here are my rules, are you going to respect the rules? And it seems like Mr. Collins does respect the rules. It's not like... Um, that novel, uh, Mr. Mrs. Matthews, I can't remember the author's name right now, um, put it up here. Um, but in that, she is, she's actually quite a mature lady. I believe she's in, I want to say her 50s. Again, if not, correction on screen now. Um, or edited into audio. <laughs> um I believe that she's yeah in her 50s, like her father is really cracking on. He's a little bit worried, um, you know, that she's going to suffer after his death, um, even though she, you know, she deals with all the household management, you know, she can look after herself. And so she's a bit like, she begrudgingly and kind of almost patronisingly is just like, Yes, Dad. Yeah, fine, I'll marry somebody. <laughs> so she she decides to marry her dad's friend on the agreement that she will be given her own space and her own money, which she agrees to wholeheartedly. And then her dad dies and he takes away her money. She can no longer run the household accounts and he takes away her private space. Um, and then, yeah, it, Mm. I was like, can we get that in writing? Do, do we need to get that notified by a lawyer? I'm not sure um, how that would have worked at that time period. It's not like you can have like an addendum to a marriage license of like, here are the rules. Um, but it's something that's like £500 a year or something. And like, what if your income dropped below? Just like, we're no longer married because yeah. you only gave me £498 this year. Um, so as with all numbers of manners, he deals with very low, very vulgar people. She has to sort of grin and bear it while holding on to her principles. He eventually dies, feeling really bad about it. And all of that property and all that money reverts to her anyway. So she's basically where she was at the beginning of the novel. And the whole point of it is her one mistake is basically conceding to her father that she didn't know best. Yeah. And entering into that contract. Yeah. And of course with divorce being so difficult and so expensive even and stigmatized as, as well progressed yeah yeah once you got married that was you were quite stuck for most people okay oh there's this wild thing oh oh there's this wild thing about uh sylvia's lovers um i'm trying to think who the theorist was i can't remember who it is but they have this really cool idea about Sylvia's lovers. So um, 
Sylvia's Lovers. If you've never heard of it, an underrated classic by Elizabeth Gaskell. Just expect to be heartbroken. <laughs> it's tragic, guys. It's real tragic. So just like steal yourself. Like there's a, a lot happens. A lot happens. Um, I think one of the reasons it hasn't really been picked up as much is because it's quite a complex classic. There's like a lot of themes. So like, okay, what I've got. There's wailing. There's <laughs> wailing as in trying to catch a whale, not just random crying. <laughs> just so everyone's clear. Uh, trying to catch whales. AKA whaling. There's um, press gang. That's when um, basically the navy in particular is just like we need more fighting men. And the sovereign has said it's totally okay if we essentially kidnap people and then they can fight for us. So there's press ganging. Um, there's trials. There's execution. There's um, <sighs> there's smuggling. <laughs> It's very dramatic. Uh, it's, it's, it's so dramatic. Um, there's lost lovers, there's false marriages, there's mental breakdowns, um, there's vicious rumours. It's, it, it's everything you could ever want in a book, is what I'm saying. Um, but one uh, really cool point that, again, I cannot remember the serious name, and I do apologise, um, that she says is... At the time Gaspel was writing it, so Gaspel's writing it between the years of 1861 and 1863, it's coming out in periodical form, um, first and foremost, and then 1863 um, is published, and it's so popular popular it has a second edition come out in the same year. So anyone who says it's not great, just know contemporaries <laughs> thought it was great. Um, and in it, it basically says that because the laws around divorce were sort of moving along in the 1860s, although Sylvia's Love is set in the 1790s, there comes this split. So, spoiler alert if you want to read it, but I suggest still reading it even if I ruin it for you. Um, <laughs> essentially, uh, Sylvia is in love with a man called Charlie Kinbraid, and he's incredibly dashing um, and a bit cheeky he's a bit cheeky he's he's a bit of a lad about town um but he's like a famous whaler and she really fancies him because um he comes back from whaling and a press gang tries to sort of trap the ship and he comes away wounded and another man has died and he's he's this very heroic heroic figure and he even struggles to a grave site to send off that man who died and Sylvia's like wow <laughs> check, check him out check him out um and then, okay, I, if there are any Philip stands in the chat, just brace yourself. Um, Philip is slimy. I don't like him. Okay. Philip is Sylvia's cousin and he is crushing on her. He's crushing on her quite bad. Um, but essentially he is trying to pursue Sylvia. Kinray is pursuing Sylvia. Kinraid obviously makes it because Sylvia actually likes him. Um, uh, Sylvia rebuffs Philippa every time. One day, Philip is walking along the dunes and he sees Kinraid being kidnapped. And Kinraid explicitly tells Philip, I mean, they the, the press gangers don't go for Philip. They, t they take one look at him and think, no, this is not going to be of any help in a war situation. Um, <laughs> oh, God. Um, so they steal Kinraid Kinraid explicitly tells Philip 
tell Sylvia to wait for me. I will wait for her. I'm coming back. And Philip sees this and he's like, a dilemma. A dilemma has presented itself to me. And then he says nothing. Nothing. Silence. And he just lets Sylvia basically sit around and think, he's gone, what's happened? I don't know. Um, various tragedies before her family, yeah. which puts her in a very financially precarious situation. Philip proposes and she thinks, well, he's been so supportive during these, you know, difficult financial straits and the breakdown in her mother's health. And, you know, he is her cousin and... I think she sees it more of more of an agreement, if that yeah. makes sense, than he really does, because he is still like head over heels in love with her. Or is he? Because there's this whole thing of like, is it just really creepy, wild obsession on his part? Mm. Which kind of we took that. Like, Philip Philip almost thinks at the end of the novel, he's just like, I kind of idolized you like a god. And maybe yeah. if I'd spent more time actually thinking about the tenets of religion, maybe I wouldn't have um done that. Um so <laughs> She marries Philip. They have a daughter together as well, which I was shocked at when I first read. I thought I was going to be like, is she she's a tragic romance if someone's married? But then I turned the chapter and she got a baby. I was like, oh, this changes things. Mm. We've, we've put, crossed the point of no return in Victorian literature. Yeah. You've, you haven't just married somebody, a baby. Um, so Kinraid comes back and he's like, what <laughs> have you done? And Sylvia understandably is really really angry um she tells philip exactly what she thinks of him she's just like look okay right she she has to go back into the shop she has a small breakdown and she says okay kimraid i am married i cannot be with you i cannot run away with you and he's like you know but your vows aren't true like your vows to me you know outside of you know, the bonds of marriage were actually were actually true so you shouldn't she's like no i'm married we'll, we'll have one final kiss and then I, I can't ever see you again. Goodbye. You're from her. Then she turns on to Philip and she says, you are no longer my husband. Mm. She's like, no, you lied. Our entire relationship is predicated on a lie that you told. No. And this theorist was basically saying how Sylvia kind of goes through some kind of spiritual act of divorce. Yeah even though she actually can't divorce. And there was this really interesting point in the 1860s where more divorces were coming about, where you could legally be divorced some, from somebody and technically remarry, but spiritually divorce didn't exist, like you've taken the sacrament, so you remain married. So it's mm. almost like, like really kind of like working out in real time what that would be like. Yeah, because that level of, some level of entrapment remains in that case i've never been so angry because like every everyone in her circle basically says this is unfortunate sylvia but you made a vow you married this man and i was like it's predicated on a lie it doesn't count they cannot they cannot they just want to keep it going you know philip is head man at the local haberdashery which is also the center of a smuggling ring so it's all you know he's he's the big shot so i guess we all just have to deal with the fact that he entrapped his emotionally vulnerable financially unstable younger cousin whose father had just been executed and whose mother was going through a mental breakdown who couldn't recognize anybody and we've all just got to be okay with that apparently according yeah. to the village of Monkshaven. I'm very much not okay with the ending. <laughs> I 
I'm not okay. I'm not okay with that. I'm not okay with any of that. No, but it is an excellent example of what we were just we we're just talking about because yeah, you do have to be they did have to be, I should say, very careful about what situations they got themselves into when they got married because it wasn't something that was easily changed, easy to get out of. Um yeah, partly because, as you said, not even from a legal perspective, but even if you had the money after divorce was possible, then you also have the potential social stigma of divorce as well. Yeah, and it, it, it really takes me back to, um, I don't know if there's any of you who um, did Wuthering Heights at GCSE or A-level, but I do remember one of the key pieces of contention amongst classmates was um, Kathy's relationship with Heathcliff. Mm. Um, and everyone thinking, oh, but Kathy wants Heathcliff, so why does she marry um, Edgar Linton? I was going to say Hindley, but I was like, that's her brother, that's not the correct name. Um, you know, why does she marry Edgar Linton? And she said, when she clearly wants Heathcliff, she should have just thrown caution to the wind and, you know, not, you know, it's because she cares about being fancy and being part of the Grange and, you know, she wants to get away from, like, the the barbarity of, you know, Wuthering Heights and, you know, like, be fawned upon because there's that bit where, like, she, like uh, Kathy and Heathcliff run away and then uh, she gets bitten by that big dog mm. and then is sort of set up in the living room and her wounds attended and Heathcliff's looking through the window and he's just like oh she's been taken like they possess her now mm. and okay first of all that seems more like entrapment again yeah <laughs> like she's wounded she physically can't really leave um I think she has to, she stays there for a, like a it's week or something while, isn't yeah. It? yeah while she's healing um but another point there is um, Heathcliff's gone. I cannot stress how much he wasn't there. There was no forwarding address. You can't text this man. He's gone. He's like, he, he was transplanted into that situation anyway. If he just wanted to walk out, like, she, what did you want her to do? Just sit sit around and wait? Yeah. Um, so it makes perfect sense to me that she would marry because not only, it's not like she can sit around and wait anyway because Hindley is drinking himself out of house and home and spending a lot of money on his new and fancy wife so Kathy's actual financial um situation and her prospects are just depleting by the day yeah. and Edgar's okay with marrying her it makes it makes complete sense to me so okay what women want she might have wanted Heathcliff but that wasn't really an option yeah, and that waiting as well, that is another big thing um, for women, this kind of time limit on when you have to have things done by. Um, and it, we were both laughing earlier at uh, a tweet that we saw about Miss Havisham and how she's only supposed to be 37, um, and yet she's... I mean, okay, I was thinking about this, and someone needs to draw up a timeline because I was thinking for Austin like the the turning point is 27 you know charlotte lucas is 27 yeah. and elliot when they're like oh put her on the shelf yeah <laughs> she has passed her sell by is 27 and i'm wondering you know i was thinking oh maybe maybe it gets to leap forward 10 years by dickens time so i was like no if you're like at the turning point of your expiration date at 27 miss havisham is a mess She's a mess. Like, that's what you become, yeah. surely. Um, 
<laughs> yeah, and again, with the, um, the example that I was talking about earlier with the um, the woman who has to marry because she can't mm. wait for that man to come back to her. A Strange Story is the name of that story, not the Ball Willison one, <laughs> although there is some suggestion that the I'm author so sorry, might you... have copied that. Yeah, um, you've only ever told me about the Ball This is... Yeah, yeah. So, this story is called A Strange Story okay. and um, there is a snippet of poetry at the beginning Ooh. of that short story uh, which is a German poem translated by Bulwer and actually at the beginning um, when the two men are talking to each other and he's revealing to his friend about this strange dream he had <laughs> where he was visited um, by his, his former lover um, they talk a lot about the same kinds of um, magnetic connections between minds and things like that that actually um, Edgar, uh, Edward Paul Willister was talking about in his strange story. So probably an intentional reference. I, I think, think so. That's really cool. Although I'm begging you, authors of the past, and you can't mention authors of the present and future, I was going to say, don't reuse the names of things, and then I just remembered what our podcast is for. <laughs> Uh, scratch that. Apart from, Apart from us, we're we're the exception. Um, <laughs> but yeah, so <laughs> we're having to wait in that one. That's what causes the problem. She can't wait. There is no option for that to be the case. As you said, we might see in Wuthering Heights, Kathy doesn't really have the option to wait. She doesn't know what might happen in that time. Um, and yeah, in uh, in lots of other pieces of fiction as well just the the necessity of finding that security before you go past your <laughs> past your shelf life as you put it i know i'm just thinking because like miss havisham was meant to be like a fine looking lady as well and i was like yeah, she's pretty <laughs> often depicted as as much older <laughs> yeah yeah i was thinking about that and like various like actresses or like yeah. even paintings or she's, like, she's only 37 like Again, and she was also meant to be gorgeous, and also, like, she's well within childbearing age as well. There's no reason why she should be should be on the shelf. Why that just? Yeah. Although I will tell you as a quick aside, um, one time when um, okay, I set up this English Society at university, and in order to reel in as many customers as possible, um, I did a bake sale stall outside of the library. Nice. It was. Luckily, it was summer, because I'm about to tell you something. Um, I decided that we should all dress up as literary characters, and I decided to dress up as Miss Havisham. Now, if you don't quite remember the description, everything's half done, so like half her hair is done and the other half isn't, but also she's only wearing one shoe. Yes, were yeah. you fully dedicated to I Havisham? I was outfit. dedicated. People were frightened. I saw people <laughs> tweeting the library being like, am I having some kind of mental breakdown? And I was like, no, it's us. Come buy a cake. Um, people did come buy a cake. Um, I, I would have gone to that. Still, I was partially doing like, you can take a picture as long as you buy a cake. Um, <laughs> but yes, I was very committed. It's very committed. Very committed to, very committed to the role. Um, I wasn't so committed that I actually went into the charity shop and bought an ex-wedding dress, but I did buy a white dress. It just, it felt a bit far. <laughs> <laughs> that was one step too far. It's quite expensive. <laughs> so I just bought a cheap white dress and was like, it's not. I was just like, technically, 
it's in keeping because she's been in the wedding dress for a few years, so it's not on trend. So it's that's old and a bit dilapidated. <laughs> and that that's kind of that's where I was going with it. That I hope there are still existing pictures of this. <laughs> I might have scrubbed them from the internet. <laughs> You might have to try to find some. But actually, I think because we've we've been talking so much about that kind of before marriage point, actually, if you think about the older women, mm. by older, I do mean the past 27. <laughs> women our age, I mean, my God. Um, I mean, that in itself is an interesting thing because Miss Havisham's a slightly different example. Um, she she decides to sort of take her revenge on society and the way she was wronged by society as a young woman whose marriage doesn't go to plan, um, which doesn't necessarily happen in too many other places, at least not as far as I can remember. But we do very often get that kind of um, aunt figure or yes, somebody who's trying to advise the young women about their marriages. There seem to be two aunt figures in my novel of manners like novel of manners adjacent um at least threads in conversation mm-hmm. and that's either someone who has fallen from grace completely or somebody who has been very successful yeah. and again there's just no middle ground in so many of these things there is no compromise there is no middle ground and i think that that is part of the the stress the stress of all of this the stress yeah. of the preparation the stress of the quarantine even the stress of being married because i mean nowadays you see it um in magazines sort of going back to our what women want you also have like how to keep your man and i feel like that was still quite uh although it, it's it's less discussed explicitly um in novels it's it's sort of picked up more i feel in instructionals of it's mostly men writing about like do this and i will like you more as a wife um but it's less so particularly among sort of women literature sort of how how to sort of because you're married to that person and you kind of have to keep them on the side to a certain extent because they have all of your property they have all of your very difficult life could become incredibly difficult if you're not having at least a, an amicable time. Yeah. Definitely. Yeah. I think maybe this, you can correct me here, maybe it is more of a, a later second half of the 19th century um, thing. But when I think of that, um, the aunt figure, mm-hmm. that sort of older female family member, I think in all of the examples I can think of, they are very wrong in their opinions and there's some kind of pushback from the younger generation are you thinking of aunt large i was thinking about that. i knew it i knew it <laughs> yeah because she obviously she advises that it's your responsibility to make a, a good match and by good she means wealthy to bring money um and to set yourself up for, for the rest of your life in that mm. way um and actually the the mother doesn't agree with her. She does want her children to marry for love. And she actually explicitly says that she would rather see them poor than unhappy for other reasons. Yeah. Yeah. I'm, I'm thinking about um, Anne Bronte's incredibly long list in the tender world fell for. Mm. Of, because in, in that, 
she okay <laughs> in that novel um our heroine does marry for love but not with much forethought and that, that's kind of picked up on by Alcott really as well because yeah. they are poor and it is a struggle like it wasn't like you know they they rolled the dice maybe he'd have been poor no he was poor like she followed through with that um but it and for this I am going to actually have to read off a list because there's so many lists in that book I <laughs> I read it and I noted them all down of reasons not to marry so this is this is another coming back to your idea of what women want and what they don't want we're moving that into why you should get married and maybe why you shouldn't get married so in the list here we have reasons that you shouldn't get married are for lots of money for a good position in society because your mother wants you to <laughs> uh, because your brother is whinging about you hanging around the house all the time all of your friends think your potential husband is gorgeous to get back at a relative's really annoying self-righteous advice uh, you have an all-consuming passion which I do feel like might be a dick yeah <laughs> um yeah yeah to make someone who's really malicious jealous um and here we get into more more serious form um if he's a worthy man but you don't actually like him if you really like him but he's not worthy of you also if he has a horrible mother um which i could see because can you imagine just constantly being <laughs> in that situation i truly do not want to know terrible family dinners <sighs> no, 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 forever that one more than your husband dying because that happens a lot as we've said mm. particularly you know in these novels if they're not worthy you really would be sitting there just thinking one day one day <laughs> um and then the last more convoluted reason which is kind of the entire plot of the tent of wild fell hall when she's when our heroine is deciding whether to remarry one reason why you shouldn't get married is if you like him now and he's worthy but there's the possibility even if you can't possibly foresee it in the present moment that at some point in the future you might have a really important disagreement don't know what psychic yeah. you're going to <laughs> yeah that's uh, that's a complicated one I was like, quite a lot of reasons, though. Not I was like, so Anne, is the answer never? Yeah. <laughs> is the answer never? Possibly it should be. <laughs> yes, yes. Um, one of those. And I think in context, when you, when you kind of realise that the struggles that, you know, her heroine has been mm. through um, with a husband that she liked, but then turned out not to be worthy of her and to essentially turn into an alcoholic who was cruel and was not a good father figure um to her young son you can see why why you might be a little bit hesitant to jump back into the into the fold um yeah absolutely definitely some potential potential for terrible things really to happen to you as a result of getting that one decision wrong um, and i think actually some of the things on that list again show that need for balance there might be some kind of trade-off where yeah you've got security 
but now you're also married to someone you don't actually like. Mm-hmm. Or yes, you've married somebody that you genuinely like, but now you're going to have to struggle financially for the rest of your life. Um, and that might not just be a bit of a struggle. It might be a very, very serious, life-threatening, potentially, situation. I so, mean, I was just thinking so many of the, the writers that, I, that I've read were writing to keep their families afloat as well. So I feel like some of it is coming from personal experience. So we know Austin didn't marry. Um, and I mean, the Bronte sisters died so early. I mean, Charlotte married, but every, everyone everyone died really early. Um, but I'm also thinking about the lesser known Trollope, um, Anthony Trollope's mother. Um, and the fact that she wrote books upon books upon books. Coming back to that, to Little Women, which we were mm. talking about earlier as well. Joe is the perfect example of that because she has a lot of a lot of questions herself about how independent she wants to be, and she's not as sure about marriage and her role as a wife as others. And she's also the writer, and she does uh, manage to do that a bit as not necessarily a career. Obviously, we know that eventually her life does go differently to the way she maybe planned initially um but is it at least put out as like an actual option for her or at least or at least she imagines it as an actual option for her yeah and it's not like she's sort of immediately sort of beaten down of like you can't do this no like yeah actually i think her family at least are very supportive of of that of her writing it's just that it doesn't necessarily fit in to to society and to sort of see that her sisters are experiencing life differently to the way that she is when they start to get married um yeah so she makes for an interesting figure in that and little women actually has um has been quite quite prevalent on social media for the same reason on that subject but um not with joe with amy and uh Oh, the way she dresses, <laughs> Timothy Charlemagne down. We love to see it. <laughs> yeah. So uh, actually, the, the quote that's going around, that's not uh, from the actual original text, uh, but it, do, it does actually touch on some of the things that are present in the original text. Mm-hmm. Um, and so, I think in some ways, like, makes explicit yeah. to a modern readership what was kind of written between the lines at the time. Yeah, absolutely. Yeah. So... She's kind of uh, explaining to uh, Laurie how marriage for her doesn't mean the same thing as it does to him because he can just marry for love. And there are all of these other considerations um, for her because she doesn't have her own money and she would not, for example, have legal rights over her children. And there are all of these kind of other considerations quite dramatic other considerations before she makes that decision and actually in the book as well um they there is quite a bit of discussion slightly awkwardly throughout about how much more money laurie and his family have than the marches and um yeah how that how that kind of balance works and there are uh, i can't remember where they exactly go but they go to some sort of or at least some of them go to a party and there's this they they hear this awkward discussion about um about laurie and uh 
how they might marry into his family to get money. A little bit Mrs. Um, Bennett, isn't it? Yeah. Being like, 5000 a year. It's like she's signed up for some kind of subscription yeah. service. Yeah. Hunting them all down. Yeah. What's the best deal? What's the best bargain? Yeah. But again, like, that's kind of seen, and I think as, like, a lot of readers, it's, like, quite vulgar, quite inappropriate, um, quite unladylike, mm. but at the same time, very practical. Mrs. Yeah. Bennett has five daughters. The Marches... Daughters are there and they're five, they're four. I've lost count. Uh, there's <laughs> Meg, there's Amy, Beth, Meg. there's Amy, and there's Joe. Four. Yeah. Okay, there's four, there's not five, but you you <laughs> you, you get you get the, the train of thought there. Um there's many there's many a daughter to oh and of course it's it's also set during a war. Yeah, the war going yeah, on. So men are in short supply. Yeah. It's it's important to, to lock them down. <laughs> as quickly as possible so yeah there's just there's a lot of conflicting lines of want yeah and need and as well. need because those two things very much with marriage uh, are obviously closely tied together hopefully but sometimes you have to take the need over the want mm. yeah and actually there's um there is another good example of of that in Little Women, because they, they, of course, they have their club, mm. the um, the Pickwick Club, because they're such big Dickens fans, and they have their um, their newsletter. I think they actually call it a newspaper, which is basically a periodical. It's like a collection of all of their writing. Um, and in one of those that we actually see, because it's it's read out by the characters, um, there is possibly it might even be the first story in there. Um, a story about a woman who is about to be married to somebody who she really hates because he has more power and more money than the person she actually wanted to marry. Um, and so, yeah, we do, we still see that coming up, even in their fictional kind of newspaper, those stories that present the, the fears. And um, there is kind of a, a almost silly solution to that in their version. Um, they... The, the two characters, the the woman and the man that she doesn't actually like, are about to be married, and for some reason they are both wearing masks at this wedding. And um, at the end, they take off their masks, and it wasn't the man that she hated; it was actually the man that she wanted to marry. So they are now <laughs> married, and he just happens to have made his fortune and now has more status and more money than the person she didn't like. So the perfect conclusion. <laughs> the perfect fairy tale you conclusion. would not believe the amount of novels I have read where there's a masked ball and you really have to suspend your disbelief. <laughs> because it's a bit like, oh, it is a bit like Shakespeare, isn't it? You know, like when Beatrice and Benedict get into that argument and Beatrice <laughs> is riffing a little harder on Benedict than usual and Benedict thinks she's being serious because, like, it's obviously him and he thinks he thought they were just playing before that point. And it's like, she's playing. She's just at a higher level than you are. Um, but something similar always seems to happen. Oh, it always seems to happen in, um, like, conduct novels or novels of manners um, in, like, the late 18th century, sort of bleeding into the early 19th. Um, so there is this absolutely wild scene in, um, I want to say, Conduct. No, it's not conduct is fate. That one's a little bit 
more relaxed. It's another conduct book. I read it while I was at Chawton House. I read it in a, it was a blur. I tried to read like 10 books in the space of a week and that didn't go to plan. They're all three volumes each as well. So just bear that in mind. That's a lot of it was too many it was too many and there were like two plot points a page so I was like scrolling down notes because it's you know not like the text are widely available um and brace yourself because this one is actually a little bit of a wild ride basically someone decides to go to this mask party as a white domino and this lady overhears that and this lady um dislikes our heroine because her lover is now interested in the heroine um so she decides she's going to go as the white domino and seduce the black because she's thinking if he's really into the heroine i'll get to be the heroine and we'll get to have a nice oh my god i'm about to say very june now seven minutes of heaven in the closet somewhere (laughs) um she goes she overplays her hand essentially she's very seductive she's very sexual and again it's the paradox of womanhood again going almost going back to james fordyce of the second that she's sexual this man loses all interest Mm. in this woman that he thinks is the heroine because he's just like, I do not want to do any of that. You have massively degraded yourself. Stay away from me. And then she sort of unmasks herself and she's just like, I don't understand you at all. Um, are you braced? Are you, are you braced? <laughs> I'm ready. Okay. It turns out this all works out anyway because, you know, when he eventually finds the heroine, he's just like, oh, I'm so glad that wasn't you because I could not possibly have respected you if you had wanted any, if you had had any bit thing but the highest form of love and the best intentions and not wanted to do anything romantic or sexual of course not (laughs) luckily this is all fine because it turns out they're half brother and sister later on okay yeah that's a twist yeah so like in the middle of it he's just like you know i'm aware that like you're married and so like i will just be this brother figure and i will protect your honor when your husband is not around and then i was just like it's just as well it's quite lucky really yes (laughs) yes I was unprepared for that as a 21st century reader. I turned the page. I was like, "What's happening? What's <laughs> happening?" I don't. Basically, a sea captain turns up at like the last five pages of this novel, and he's just like, "My children." I was like, "Right, mm. right, <laughs> sure." It'd been a long day. It was like early spring. I was in a hot little room. You can't have fluids in there. And I was like, I've got to be reading every second of the day on this trip to Chawton House. I can't have a fluid. I must just read. And it felt like a fever dream by the end. I, like, I don't I don't understand what's happening here. Brilliant. It was. <laughs> so yes, what women want. It's not Mary. that. Not that. <laughs> to clarify, not that any of that that, even like any of that (laughs) look also don't do mass parties unless you know someone is super into a mass party don't do it Mm. that's my closing advice don't do it (laughs) so in conclusion on what women wanted in the 19th century is marriage without something absolutely terrible happening in our security without having that entrapment in a, a terrible relationship. Yeah. And possibly pushing the envelope, not marriage, and just being able to live your life comfortably with enough money, possibly pursue a writing career. Yeah. Well, they're socially so, so incredibly hard, so incredibly unlikely. Ironically, though, it's the women who were able to do that, <laughs> but then wrote it in their stories. Yeah. 
So that's our conclusion. Thank you so much for joining us this week. Well, this month, you will see us next month for another episode. Mm -hmm. uh, next month, we are doing Victorian motherhood in periodicals. So, have a Mother's Day. Yes, so that should be coming out, I believe, on 17th to the 18th of March. So, you can join us then. Thank you so much for listening. Thank you so much for watching. I think the only things that we have left to do is thank various people. So first of all, thank you, Hayley, for joining me. <laughs> thank you. <laughs> thank you for joining us. Special thanks to India Downton and yes. extra special thanks to Dave Parks, who did our sound technician and our video editing. Bye for now. <laughs>